chapter five of on sensation and the sensible in parva naturalia by aristotle translated by william alexander hammond this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards chapter five in like manner one must also treat of smell for the same effect which is produced by the dry or the moist is produced in another connection by savoury moisture in air and water equally now we observe that the diaphanous is a common principle in these two elements the element however is not odoriferous by virtue of its being diaphanous but by virtue of its capacity to exude and throw off dry savour for smell is exercised not only in the air but also in water this is evidently so in the case of fishes and mollusks for these are known to be endowed with smell although there is no air in the water for the air comes to the surface when found in water and they have no respiration if one assumes that both air and water are moist elements smell would be the dry sapidity in the moist and such would be the nature of an odoriferous body that this condition in an object is derived from a sapid element is a plain conclusion from things that do and do not emit smell for the simple elements such as fire air earth and water are non-odorous because the moist and dry in them are non-sapid excepting when a combination is produced this is why even the sea has a smell it contains a sapid dry element salts are more odorous than nitre as is proven by the oil derived from them nitre in turn is more odorous than earth further a stone is inodorous for it is without sapidity woods on the other hand are odorous for they are sapid and amongst woods those that are watery are less odorous further amongst metals gold is inodorous for it is not sapid bronze however and iron are odorous when the moist element is burned out of metals the slag becomes still less odorous silver and tin are more odorous than some and less odorous than other metals for they contain moisture some writers regard smell as a smoke-like exhalation which is common to earth and air and all the naturalists fall back on this explanation of smell and so heraclitus made the remark that if all things were smoke we should discern everything by our nostrils now the naturalists all explain smell on this theory some of them describing it as vapour others as an exhalation and others as a combination of both of these vapour is a kind of moisture whereas a smoke-like exhalation is as we have said common to air and earth water is derived from vapour and a sort of earth is developed from smoke-like exhalation but neither of these two seems to be the odorous for vapour is due to water while smoke-like exhalation cannot possibly be generated in water and yet creatures that live in the water have the sense of smell as was said above again exhalations here have the same meaning as emanations and if the emanation theory was wrong so is this wrong it is clear that the moisture which is found in the air for the air also has a moist character 
and in water is capable of deriving something from the sapid dry element and of being affected by it furthermore if the dry element when saturated as it were acts in moisture in the same way as it does in air smells must evidently correspond to tastes but precisely this fact is found in certain flavours and savours for there are pungent sweet harsh astringent oily smells and one might say that rancid odours correspond to bitter tastes as the former therefore are revolting to the taste so rancid tastes are revolting to the smell evidently then that quality which in water is flavour in air and water is smell this explains why cold and frost blunt flavours and obscure smells for cold and frost nullify heat which is the moving and active principle here there are two sorts of odorous objects for it is untrue that there are no varieties of odorous objects as some maintain such varieties do exist one must however explain in what sense this is true and in what sense not true one variety corresponds as clearly explained to flavour and contains the pleasurable and painful accidentally for owing to the fact that these smells concern our nutritive power they are agreeable to those who have desire and disagreeable to those who are sated and feel no desire neither is the smell agreeable to those to whom the food which has the smell is disagreeable consequently these smells contain as we said the pleasant and painful accidentally and this is the reason why they are common to all animals there is another variety of smells which are pleasant in themselves e g the fragrance of flowers for they incite us in no respect whether more or less to food nor do they in any way contribute to the stirring of any desire they have rather the opposite effect what stratus says mocking euripides is true when lentil soup you cook pray add no spices to it by mixing such spices in their potations men nowadays force pleasure as is their habit believing that the pleasure which is really derived from two sensations is derived from only one smell of this sort is peculiar to man but smell that is based on flavour is sensed by other animals as remarked above the varieties of the latter because the pleasant is incidental are classified in terms of flavours which does not apply to the former class because there the smell is pleasant or disagreeable in itself the reason why this class of smells is peculiar to man is because of the condition of his brain for man's brain is by nature cool and the blood in its surrounding veins is thin and pure though easily chilled which explains why the evaporation of food when cooled in this region causes catarrhal colds and so this variety of smell has been developed in man as beneficial to his health for no other function can be ascribed to this class of smells although this function is evidently exercised by them food whether solid or liquid although agreeable is often harmful but the smell exhaled from savoury food indicates one may say what is absolutely and always beneficial to man in whatsoever condition he is consequently smell is mediated by respiration not in all animals but in man the quadrupeds and such other sanguineous animals as have a larger share in the employment of air
for smells being transmitted to the brain by virtue of the levity of the heat in them the regions about the brain are thereby the more healthy for the potency of smell is naturally warm nature employs respiration for two purposes its main purpose is to assist the functioning of the chest its secondary function is to transmit smell for in respiration the air produces as it were in passage motion in the nostrils smell of this sort is peculiar to human nature for man has in proportion to his size the largest and moistest brain of all animals for this reason man is the only animal one may say that senses the smell of flowers and similar smells and finds pleasure in them for the warmth and movement in these smells is proportional to the excess of moisture and coolness in the brain to the other animals that are endowed with lungs for respiration nature has given the perception of another kind of smell so as to avoid the creation of two sense organs it is enough for these respiring animals that they have the sensation of only one class of smells while man discriminates both classes that the non-respiring animals possess the sense of smell is evident for fishes and all the varieties of insects on account of the connection between food and smell distinguish smells with precision and at a distance as we observe in the case of bees and that variety of small ants sometimes called snips and purple sea-fish as well as in the case of many other similar animals which have a keen sense of smell for food the organ of sensation is not so clearly defined one might therefore raise the question as to the organ of the sense of smell although smell is mediated exclusively by respiration this is plainly so in all respiring animals none of the above-mentioned animals however respire and yet they perceive smells unless we are to assume an additional sense beyond the five and this is impossible for it is smell that senses the odorous and these animals detect odour though perhaps not in the same way as respiring animals in respiring animals the breath lifts up a superficial membrane a sort of cover as it were for which reason they do not smell without respiration whereas in the non-respiring animals this is lacking just as over the eyes some animals have eyelids and without lifting these do not see while others are hard-eyed and have no lids and so do not need to lift any covering but see at once from the moment they are able to see and so too no other animal feels discomfort from a smell which is intrinsically malodorous unless it chances to be harmful but by these harmful smells animals are sometimes destroyed just as men often get a headache from coal gas and frequently lose their lives in the same way other animals are destroyed by sulphur and asphalt fumes and because they are so affected by such fumes they avoid them but for malodor as such they take no thought although many vegetables have bad smells excepting in so far as taste or food is influenced by it inasmuch as the number of the senses is uneven and every uneven number has a middle term it seems that smell occupies a middle position between the senses that operate by direct contact viz touch and taste on the one hand and those which function indirectly through a medium viz sight and hearing on the other hand consequently the odorous object is something which affects foods for these fall under the category of the tangible 
and further it affects audition because smells are sensed in the media of air and water smell then is in a way common to these two things and is found in the tangible the audible and the diaphanous it is with good reason therefore that smell has been compared to the imbrewing and washing of a dry element found in the moist and liquid regarding the sense in which one may or may not apply the term quotes, species to odours let the foregoing discussion suffice there is a view held by certain pythagoreans which is ill-founded they hold that certain animals feed on smells now we observe in the first place that food is a composite thing for the creatures which are nourished are not simple and consequently there is an excrement of food sometimes within the animal itself and sometimes external as in the case of plants further water when taken alone and unmixed is not fitted to yield nourishment for what is assimilated into the body must be of a solid nature again it is much less reasonable that air can become solid matter in addition to this we observe that all animals have a receptacle for food from which after its entrance the body assimilates it the sense organ however is situated in the head and smell enters with a breath-like inhalation so that it penetrates to the respiratory region that smell as such does not contribute to nourishment is plain that it does however contribute to health is evident from the sensation itself and from what has been said so that what flavour is to the nutritive organ and to the parts nourished this smell is to health let these then be our conclusions regarding the several sense organs chapter six one might raise the question whether supposing all bodies to be infinitely divisible the sensible qualities of bodies are also infinitely divisible such qualities as colour flavour smell sound weight cold heat lightness roughness and softness or must we say that this is impossible for every one of these qualities produces sensation they all receive their name from their capacity to stimulate sensation therefore sensation must be infinitely divisible and every magnitude must be sensible for it is impossible to perceive a white object without its having dimensions were this not true it would be possible to have a body without colour or weight or any similar quality in which case it would be absolutely imperceptible for these qualities constitute the sensible the sensible then would have to be composed of the non-sensible but it must be composed of sensible qualities for it cannot be composed of mathematical elements and furthermore what organ could we use for the discrimination and cognition of such elements could we employ reason but they are not rational elements neither does reason think the external world excepting in conjunction with sensation at the same time if this view of the infinite divisibility of sensible qualities were true it would appear to furnish support for the advocates of atomic magnitudes for in this way the problem would be solved it is however impossible this subject has been discussed in our treatise on motion in the solution of these questions one will see why it is that the various forms of colour flavour sound and other sensible qualities are determinate 
for in things that have extremes the internal properties must also be determinate the opposite is an extreme now every sensible quality implies opposition e g in colours white and black in flavour sweet and bitter and in everything else the opposites form extremes the continuous is therefore divisible into infinite unequal parts but into determinate equal parts now whatever is not in its own nature continuous is divisible into determinate forms inasmuch as qualities must be interpreted as forms and inasmuch as continuity is always given in these we must suppose a difference between the potential and actual this is why the ten thousandth part of a visible grain of millet is unseen although the eye rests upon it and so too a quarter tone is undetected by hearing although the whole continuous melody is heard but the interval from mean to extreme is not appreciable to us and the same thing applies to the excessively small amongst other sensible objects they are discernible potentially but not actually and when regarded in isolation a footline is contained in a two-footline potentially but actually only after division has been made when excessively small parts like these are separated off it is reasonable to suppose that they would be lost in their environment just as a tiny particle of flavour is lost in the sea nevertheless since this excessively small particle when regarded in itself and in isolation is imperceptible for the excessively small has only a potential existence in a body that is more discernible neither is any sensible object of this sort in isolation actually perceptible and yet it is a sensible object because it is so potentially and will be actually so when added on to something we have now explained that certain magnitudes and qualities are imperceptible and have stated the reason for this and have shown in what sense things are perceptible and in what sense they are not when however inherent qualities are so constituted in reference to themselves as to be actually perceptible and not merely so in conjunction with an entire body but also when regarded alone then colours flavours and sounds must be numerically limited one might raise the question whether sensible objects or the movements excited by sensible objects whatever be the way in which sensation is affected by their activity are first transmitted to a medium as appears to be the case with smell and sound for a person standing near by has an earlier perception of a smell and a sound reaches one some time after a blow is the same thing true of the visible and of light according to empedocles sunlight is first transmitted to a medium before it reaches the eye or the earth and this seems to be reasonable for whatever is moved is moved from one point to another so that a certain time must elapse in which motion from one point to another takes place but all time is divisible and consequently there is a moment when the ray is not yet visible but is still in transit in the medium also if everything at the same moment hears and has heard and in a word perceives and has perceived and there is no time process in sensations nevertheless they lack this process in the same way in which sound after the blow has been struck has not yet reached the ear the shifting of letters also shows this plainly because their movement takes place in a medium for people appear not to have heard what was said because the air has shifted 
is this true also of colour and light for it is not owing to a particular condition that one thing sees and another is seen like two equivalent terms for it would not then have been necessary for either to be in a given position for when things are equivalent nearness or remoteness from each other makes no difference it is reasonable that succession in time should be found in sound and smell for like air and water they are continuous and yet their movement is divisible and so it sometimes happens that the nearest and most remote persons perceive the same smell and at other times this is not the case some persons find a difficulty also in the following it is impossible some say for different persons to hear see or smell the same thing in the same way for it is impossible for several persons who are separate from each other to hear and smell alike in that event the unitary object of sensation would have to be separated from itself the primary stimulus as a bell frankincense or a fire is perceived by all as numerically one and the same but in its peculiar qualities it is perceived with numerical differences though in its essential nature as one and the same thing for which reason many persons see smell or hear the same thing at the same time one is not concerned here however with bodies but with qualities and motion otherwise we should not have this phenomenon which are impossible apart from body the question of light is different for light has a substantial nature and is not a motion in general the same determinations are not to be applied to transformation and motion spatial motions take place as one might suppose first into a medium sound is thought to be the motion of something subject to spatial change whereas that which undergoes transformation does so in a way different from spatial change it is possible that transformation takes place in mass and not first by halves as in the case of water which freezes at once entire nevertheless if what is being heated or frozen should be of considerable bulk one part is affected by the adjacent part and the first part undergoes changes through its own alteration and it is not necessary that the entire mass undergo alteration at the same time taste would also be subject to the same conditions as smell if we lived in a medium of water and perceived smells from a distance without contact when we have a medium for the sense organ it is reasonable to suppose we do not receive all our impressions at once excepting in the instance of light on grounds already mentioned and sight is also accepted on the same grounds for light is the cause of sight end of chapter six recording in memory of mitchell edwards